This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting-edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Hi, I'm Dr. Kyson Frank. Welcome back to our series on stress and anxiety. This is episode two, and today we're going to talk about triggers. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. So what does it mean to be triggered? So a trigger mechanism is something which activates or sets up a reaction or a series of reactions. With the slightest provocation, it leads to something blowing up or melting down. So let me ask you guys a question. Why are so many people so easily triggered today? Well, because of the stress. Mm. I mean, we talked about that on the first episode, you know, all these different things, but it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. But you say the wrong word and that's a trigger. It can either cause them hyperventilate, it can set them off into an expressed uh, problem, or it can calm them down and make them feel satiated and happy or multiple ways. Well, you think, think about a trigger too, that tension is a prerequisite for it to actually function. So yeah, it uses tension to create that or start that chain reaction. So people that are more tense or more going through a lot more stress are going to be more easily triggered because of that. So think about an MRI device or CT machine. <clears throat> people would be going into this small hole being squeezed into All right, now you're stressing me out. See, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's one of the definitions you gave last time on last episode, yeah. you know, that it's like we're being compressed into something and that gives us a reaction. You know, I think you spoke about public speaking, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, does it? I think the other aspect is we are in information overload. Mm -hmm. We have so much information coming at us every moment of every day compared to previous generations that it doesn't take much to tip you over the edge. So it's interesting you said that because I'm going to date myself here a little bit as a member of Generation X. I'm not going to date anyone else here, but I'm sure you can figure out what I'm generations older. are in. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting here with baby booners down to Gen Y and millennials here. Right. So we, we all come at this from a different generation and, and have grown up and experienced different things. And so sitting here kind of in the middle between these, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, I grew up before the internet, you know, we played outside all the time. We did all these different things. We got together with their friends. We didn't have a way to really communicate. You just kind of rode to somebody's house, hoping they were there, you know? <laughs> and so there's so many things there. I mean, triggered wasn't even a word. If you were triggered when in my age group, they tell you to suck it up. It's your issue. You figure it out, you know? Or is an animal, <laughs> a dog. <laughs> You know, I, I was starting with being uh, slapped with a hair lip many times, you know, hey, suck it up here, boy. Come on. You know, and so <laughs> it's very interesting seeing these different levels, generations, how they deal with it. And so <laughs> as I see this term triggered come up and so many people are so triggered all the time, 
you know, I'm perplexed by it, you know, and if I'm going to be honest about it, it really frustrates me. And at the same time, if I'm going to be honest, like I said, I'm partly jealous too. Frustration how ridiculous some of these people are and what triggers them. It's like, really? I mean, you're so sensitive to these things. And yet it, it's, it may be a real mechanism. Have they been conditioned that way? Is it their upbringing? Is it the society? Is it the culture we're in? And yet at the same time, I look back and I go, there's a platform now and a way to be able to deal with some very serious things that in my generation, a lot of people who suffered, who struggled, who checked out early. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things were, they didn't have a way to find a voice for it. They didn't have an outlet for it. And they're dealing with some major issues. So the question is, are we born with triggers? I mean, I would argue there are some innate triggers that refer to survival instincts hardwired into our DNA. I mean, basic things like survival, food, water, shelter, uh, our security, a drive to pleasure and to move away from pain. These are kind of basic things that are triggered us and they're survival instincts. And as we grow up, we build upon these experiences and we start to hardwire emotions and reactions and kind of a subroutines on how our body needs to act in a situation that we've been through, either to trauma or some other event. And then they set out these responses in, instantaneously and trigger us and we react in such a way. And that allows us to be able to try to flee, fight, whatever it is we're trying to do. Now, sometimes it's things that we've needed in the past to survive. And once we get to a point that they no longer serve us, we're still triggered by them. There's things that, you know, once served us well in a situation that as we grow, we learn and we handle things differently, yet we're still triggered by things from our childhood, from other things we've incurred in our life. Uh, it's, it's interesting being a parent because it reveals a lot of things that we believe or things that we used to believe or things that we've built into our subroutines. And as we go through and we counsel our children, when they go through things that we've gone through, the advice we would have given them at their age is completely different as a parent. Now mm-hmm. um, I've had the, um, I guess the word pleasure comes to mind. I guess the pleasure of actually befriending a lot of the kids who I fought with or were childhood bullies as I've gotten older in life. And it was absolutely what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, it was humbling to actually see what some of these guys had gone through in their lives. I was very fortunate in my upbringing with my family and, and, and the support I had and seeing what some of these other people went through, the reactions they had, listen to the horrors they went through and why they reacted. Kind of going back to what you were talking about in the end of the last episode. Some of these guys had horrific upbringings and their only outlet was what they did at school and how they reacted and it was, it was rough. You know, I mean, there are several people that I grew up with who are no longer with us for one reason or another. And a lot of these different things have built in triggers. So it was interesting developing these friendships with these people as they got older, seeing what they had gone through, how they overcame it, how they became great men and, and leaders and, and just good family men and very great spiritual leaders that I really respect. And I, I, I love those people, you know, and it, it's amazing how we grow and learn. So uh, if you have somebody you have an issue with, be gracious with them, be kind to them, kill them with kindness, as they say, because that's what they really need. So emotional triggers are thoughts, the habits, 
And from the wound all the way up into childhood, they, they affect us and set a groundwork and a framework for how we're going to react the rest of our lives. And sometimes, I don't remember the movie, but I think the quote was, our adulthood is the time we spend overcoming our childhood. Good point. Mm-hmm. And so it's trying to relearn these things. It's trying to break some of these chains and cycles that have been passed down because a lot of these things are things that our parents developed and that are passed down to us mm-hmm. and they longer serve us. And sometimes they are chains and we believe in being chain breakers. And if we can help you get rid of those triggers, break those chains, those thought patterns, those things that you've grown up with that no longer serve you and are affecting you in a negative way, we really want to get into helping you figure that out. So I'm going to let Dr. Luke here take over and he's going to talk about how our environment affects us. Yeah, sure. I guess I'll just try to follow that up. No big deal. <laughs> Don't stress about it. Right. Oh, thank you, Dr. Kyson. That was that was on, awesome. Very wonderful. Uh, for this episode, uh, like Dr. Kyson said, I want to touch on environmental stressors. And I start uh, by briefly touching on probably one of, if not the main stressor for many people in this country and, and probably the world as a whole, is job stress or financial stress. According to the CDC and the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, Early warning signs of job stress include headache, sleep disturbance, trouble concentrating, short temper, uh, upset stomach, uh, extreme job dissatisfaction, and low morale. Before we go forward, how many people do you know who fit that list? How many of us have a headache about all this? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry. Other other issues associated with job stress are cardiovascular disease, kind of like I mentioned last episode. Musculoskeletal disorders, psychological disorders, uh, workplace injuries, increased risk for suicide, various types of cancers, ulcers, impaired immune function. I think we may have just covered some of those last episode. So I want us to keep that job stress in mind. And I know we've alluded to this. Dr. Caleb's alluded to it. Dr. Craig alluded to it earlier. Uh, now let's think about news and social media and how what stress this creates. Now I know <laughs> Kyson talking about Generations here. I know I'm the young buck, but I cannot think of a time where this country has been more severely divided on a whole host of cultural issues. I don't want to speak on those issues themselves necessarily, but I do want to highlight what most people do. So again, keeping that job stress in mind, you go about your day, you work a tough job, maybe it's a job you don't really like. And during the day or when you get home in order to escape your present reality, what do you do? You have access to the entire world in your pocket. So you mindlessly scroll social media so that you don't have to think about your present life stressors. But for a lot of people, this escape is merely trading one stressor for another in that you have now talking heads, not the band, uh, not only on the news, but also via various social media groups and influencers, each casting their own two cents on hot button topics such as politics, cultural war issues, and rumors of actual war in a place where most people can't point to on a map. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a super sweet trade-off. And not only does this expose themselves to heightened stress, but on social media, you now interact with other people. And I cannot believe how many relationships have been ruined over differing social and political beliefs and how many anonymous keyboard warriors there are in the world today especially when you consider that most Americans probably have much more in common than what they differ on. That's not to minimize people's beliefs, 
But for most folks, particularly in our neck of the woods, I feel like people just want to have a comfortable job, provide well for their families and their loved ones and live life in peace. And I think it's a shame how social media, which is a tool that should be used to connect the world and individuals and ideas for the betterment of mankind, has turned into a device wielded by the elites to keep the common man at odds with one another. Getting off my pedestal now, all that to say, you think maybe, just maybe we could find better ways to reframe how we view and feel about our jobs, how we might be able to make better use of our time other than mindlessly scrolling the socials or listening to Fox or CNN or other news outlets. Maybe we can learn to be more present in the moment with our families, with our loved ones, get outside, go be active, read a book that's not on a screen and be filled with more gratitude that we get to show up that we get to show up to a job or do something even that we love instead of being inconvenienced by it. And we've already touched on this, you know, all the doctors have kind of in their own way, but purpose is such a big thing. And lately on questionnaires, I've been having my patients fill out. There's 30 small sections that cover a whole host of issues in the body, looking at what do your cells need to be healthy. But the last three are very interesting and have to do with one social isolation or feeling lonely happiness, and then another one that's called eudaimonic well-being, which in other words is living for a higher purpose. So you have eudaimonia and hedonism. Hedonism is living for self and for pleasure, and eudaimonia is living for something bigger than yourself. And if any one of these three sections are tanked, it's profound how much either feeling lonely, not having joy, or not having purpose can impact one's health. And it's even more interesting when patients present with a whole host of issues and symptoms and score just fine in, in virtually every other section associated with disease and various systems, but are tanked in those ones and the impact that that's having on their health and, and what all that's making them susceptible to as far as those diseases go. And so often we associate purpose with what we do. I think it's interesting that whenever, you know, I haven't really thought about this until recently, that whenever we meet someone, what's the first thing we often ask? What do you do? I think that for so many, identity is boiled down to occupation. And th that's certainly been true in times in my life. But for, for me, for right now, it most certainly is not. And I pray it never is moving forward. For me, occupation, or what I do, is one of many offices I hold as a man particularly a man of God. And I get the opportunity to live out my identity, not only in my occupation or my job, which I'm very passionate about, but as a husband, as a father, as a friend, and whatever office or role that I hold, I get to live out my identity through that. Now, that's not to say disease doesn't exist. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know we cover disease ad nauseum. But it is to say that stress, mental, emotional, and spiritual health can greatly impact our bodies and make us more susceptible to things like pain, illness, disease, dysfunction, etc. To end my section here, I'd like to say that we ultimately will allow an influence into our lives that will shape who we are and what we do. And it is incumbent upon us to figure out what that source is in our life and who, and who or what is shaping us. Living for something bigger than mammon which is not just money, but is also influence and reputation or clout, which is such a massive problem in this day of age of everyone trying to be a social media influencer and being famous for no apparent reason, but living for a higher purpose, living for something that's bigger than you, and that will be around for a long, long time, even after you're gone. And if you're listening, this is my challenge to you is to ponder your purpose. If you have one, great. If not, 
I would really think long and pray long and hard, especially about that before you go chasing symptoms. So with that, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to Dr. Caleb. Real quick, John, let me, I'm going to interject sure. here because I want to add on to what he was talking about. So when people ask what you do, do you always respond with your job or do you respond with just how you ended that? I do what my purpose is. And if it's in as a father, yes. as, as a husband, as a doctor, as a friend, my goal is to help people live their best life absolutely, and to help them in any way I can. And it's that is are. our goal. Yeah, that's right. yeah, it's who you are. And that's that's what I do. I don't care if I'm sitting at a desk typing. I don't care if I'm hauling trash. I don't care what it is you're doing. Find purpose in what you're doing. Excel exactly. at it yeah. and do your best to help your fellow man. 100%. That is the, the thing. So when people ask me what I do, yeah. that's kind of my response. Absolutely. I said I get the, the, the fortunate pleasure of treating patients, you know, yes. but no matter what it is, it's finding that purpose, finding that ability to help people. Yeah, it's a it's a whole different dynamic than just answering with yeah. simply what your occupation is. Absolutely. Yep. Sorry, Dr. Kidd, please take over. That's okay. So, like I mentioned last time, I'm going to be talking about the causes of emotional stress. And right now, cause of emotional stress is following these two guys because they just hit out of the park with their <laughs> stuff and went to a very deep and inspirational level. Um going to be difficult to follow that but i'll do my best and trigger hopefully alert, trigger alert. <laughs> yeah trigger warning <laughs> maybe a little bit you know um but yeah you know emotions it's a very deep and hazy and confusing subject and hopefully i don't have too big of a shovel because i don't want to go too deep on it um but let's go ahead and get started so <clears throat> what even are emotions and what causes us to feel them so as I said in our last episode, I believe that emotional stress is one of the most recognizable and familiar forms of stress as we all deal with it at some level on a daily basis, but I also think it is one of the least understood forms. So before I get into the specific causes or triggers of emotional stress, I want to talk about what emotions actually are and how our understanding of them has changed throughout time. So if you look throughout history, um, starting with philosophers such as Aristotle, Plato, and even Descartes, they believe that emotions were a unique class of feelings that are completely separate from sensory experiences like taste, touch, and sight. In the 1800s, psychologist William James and physiologist Carl Lang proposed in what is now known as the James-Lang theory that emotions were interpretations of a physiological response to an external stimulus. So an example of this would be if you're walking in the woods and suddenly see a bear close by, there is first a physiological response such as an increase in heart rate or trembling in your muscles, which then makes you feel fear as a response to those changes. So I'm sure you can already see that there are definitely some issues with this theory because you can have an increased heart rate without guaranteeing a fear-based response. You know, most people working out at the gym aren't living in a fear state as they're exercising. So later on, Walter Cannon and Philip Bard um, contrasted the James Lang theory by proposing that emotions and physiological reactions can occur at the same time, but were not linked at all. Now, if you look today, explanations in the psychology field typically identify emotions as a psychological state relying on a subjective experience, a physiological response, and a behavioral response all working together. So what does that mean? It means we experience something that creates a physiological change, like the release of cortisol, and creates a change in feeling or behavior that is in response to that. 
But what dictates the type of response? What dictates what feeling or emotion we actually get from that? What is the difference between creating a fear-based emotion and an excitement-based emotion? So I think the answer lies in our subconscious and unconscious selves. We've kind of talked about this a little bit in the last episode, and we really talked a lot about the subconscious and unconscious and how they affect intuition in our previous series on energy medicine when we were talking about the senses. I highly encourage you to go back and look at that. Um, it was a very good episode. Um, so when we look at emotions, it's basically how we're responding to situations in our life and again like we talked about it, it's how it interacts with our belief system or our mentality or our mindset and you know i kind of come up with my own definition again um so is it simple whether it, yeah it's very simple you know very easy <laughs> very to understand, long but you know? very simple so simply long but my de my definition of emotions are that they are the expressive result of our physical mental and spiritual experiences interacting with our unconscious or subconscious selves and if you think about it most of our life most of our um day-to-day -day habits are from an unconscious or subconscious level how much of life do we go through on autopilot you know, we've talked about that before. And, and if you think about how our belief systems, how our mindsets are formed, it comes from, you know, regular thoughts. And I'm not, I'm going to try to not jump too much into uh, Dr. Craig's wheelhouse here, but because uh, he's going to talk about this more next. But how you interpret life or how you expect life to be, we talked about the unmet expectations and what actually happens if those don't mesh or line up there's going to be some form of stress there's going to be some way that you can't resolve that until you either change your thought process or you change your circumstance right um so if we look at it uh, dr paul ekman proposed the seven basic universal emotions of anger contempt disgust enjoyment fear sadness and surprise and all other emotions are a variation or a combination of those working together but if you really look at it that's where kind of the majority of emotional stress stems from and i think really uh the primary aspect is fear like dr kaisen was talking about last time too and one thing i definitely don't want to overlook is trauma you know we go through something that seriously intensely goes against our belief system, goes against our mentality or our mindset, and that can scar us, especially if it's something very negative, very painful. Um, there are all sorts of different traumas that we go through as children, you know, and just, you know, even just working, you know, the loss of a loved one. There are so many different things that can affect us and that can really um, leave dents in our internal selves, you know, leave... Uh, scratches and bruises and things that don't actually heal on their own until we really take time to dig deep work through those emotions and um, really address it but some of the common areas that we get triggered like we're, uh, dr luke was talking about work and financial issues are a big one toxic unhealthy or abusive relationships um, unresolved emotional pain or trauma parenting you know good and bad that's going to be stressful um I haven't experienced a whole lot of that myself, but we're looking at a child coming soon, and um, my mind is already preparing for a lot of things I'm going to be having to deal with or have to be responsible for, and that's definitely um, 
brought in some different forms of stress and some different thought processes and mentalities that I've been having to work through. Again, loss and grief and mental health conditions, you know. I think this is really something that we really need to do a better job of looking at when we're dealing with people that are struggling from mental breakdowns, from psychological disorders, is what at their core is dysfunctioning or not interacting correctly with the world around them or their experiences or their memories. You know, what is that core aspect that's really driving all these imbalances, all these issues? And, um, you know, just looking at how these affect the body and just kind of, we talked about all these physiological changes and, you know, it's just, uh, it's really... <clears throat> I think we need to start digging a lot deeper, uh, especially as professionals. You know, that's one thing that, you know, I know Dr. Craig has really been working out a lot because, you know, and, and I've been working on improving that aspect in my own life. And you've been grateful or very helpful in a lot of that, those aspects. And, you know, it's just, uh, and I guess it's, it's my turn to kind of <laughs> stop and kind of think and just kind of deal with some of those triggers but you know there's a lot that's going on for everybody you know like dr kais was saying it's it's important to realize as we're dealing with people um everybody's hurting everybody's going through something and the more we deal with grace and love and compassion the better it's going to be for everybody and uh, going in going back to kind of the verse that dr ben was sharing at the end of uh last one when he's talking about being thankful in stress or thankful with anxiety and all this stuff is really i think that's the cure if we can be grateful you know we, we focus so much on the negative aspects of stress but there are some positive aspects you know stress can help us focus stress can help us get ready for that fight or that flight you know and there are some ways that stress can be beneficial in that short term to help us accomplish what we need to do it can increase our motivation increase our desperation you know as a parent to provide or as a husband you know to to be who you need to be for your family as a man of god to you know stand up and do the right thing you know, there's so many aspects that stress can drive you into greater achievement or greater success, but we often deal with it the wrong way and we let that overwhelm us and kind of drag us down. Um, I don't know, you guys have any other thoughts on, on cause emotional stress? Well, first I'd say stress is good. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good stress. As we talk about the yield stress, our yield stress. And when you think about it, stress is what gives us either motivation or passion or purpose or any of these other kind of things. And as you just said, as long as it's utilized in the correct way, mm -hmm. the correct form, with the right mentality and thought processes and then actions or reactions to that, it's a good stress. It gives us a yeah. fulfillment, uh, joy, pleasure, happiness that we did it. You know, we, mm -hmm. we saw it, we faced it, and we conquered it, right? So I think that's uh, an aspect we have to remember. So it seems like we're focusing a lot of the the, I don't say bad per se, but you know, the more distressful things, mm -hmm. which cause a lot of issues, but there is a lot of good stress yeah. that helps us. And it's important to be aware of the dangers of it and especially how badly it can affect us if we don't address it properly. And you can go the, to the other end as well. Mm -hmm. You can get too much good yep. stress. So when we talk about stress, I, all stress is good at some point. Yeah. It's not the stress is issue. Even cortisol is actually there to help you. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. people give, oh, cortisol is high. It's a bad thing. Well, 
your body's releasing it to protect you. The entire situation we have here is an ability to shut it off mm-hmm. because we get wrapped up to it. We get the sympathetic the dominant state right. where we're in a fight or flight all the time and we can't shut it off. And I mean, if you think about it, you should have a stressful situation. Then you should go back into your parasympathetic, which is rest and digest, let your body heal up, prepare. Right. And it's and when we get into a stressful state, it should be like the big red button, all hands on deck. We're at battle stations and it should be a temporary thing. If you're constantly at your battle stations, everything's going to fall apart. And that's kind of what happens is because we don't know how to shut it off. We don't know how to step away from like Dr. Luke was saying, we go from one stressful thing to the next, pull up social media. We go this, mm-hmm. then we turn on the TV. We listen to news or, I mean, I remember as a kid, I mean, there was no talking heads news all the time, let alone right. one channel, let alone, I don't know how many of their six or seven channels now of nothing but news and spin and everything else you're getting from all different points mm-hmm. of view, which is on all the time. And then it's in your pocket all the time. And it's just like the five o'clock news to come on, you know, mm-hmm. or the 10 o'clock news. And that was it. And you were done, you're over it and you got the rest of your day to spend with family and friends and do stuff. And it's just become this absolute burden dealing with it. So it's, it's really what we're talking about in this series is how do you turn it off? Mm-hmm. How do you shut it down? How do you get your cortisol levels back down to a normal range? And that's really what people struggle with is dealing with the stress to shut it off, to shut the brain down in such a way that it won't think about. It. And this is why people run to every type of element they or way to ease it they can from drugs to alcohol, or whatever it is they're using. Mm-hmm. This is what they do to bring that down, to bring it or to shut the brain off. Because they can't handle it. Yeah. I think a lot of times we focus too on like the big addictions like drugs, alcohol, and, you know, smoking, all that stuff. But I think we often overlook the distractions that we go to, you know, not necessarily the big ones that numb us, but the distractions like, you know, binge watching TV or, you know, shows or movies, whatever, um, playing video games, even yeah. getting lost in reading books. If you go from novel to novel to novel right. to novel, trying to escape into somebody else's story, which I did a lot as a kid. I had asthma real bad. I couldn't get outside a lot. So I escaped into books and, you know, other stuff. And, um, you know, those can become addictions as well that we don't necessarily address or recognize. And, you know, they still lead us to being either distracted, ignoring what we're dealing with or becoming numb to it and even apathetic. And actually apathy is one sign of emotional stress. I think we don't really associate with that much. Mm-hmm. So getting lost in books can be a scary thing sometimes, especially if you go through the wardrobe. So, <laughs> yeah. And they have lions and witches. Oh my. <laughs> All right. So, Like I said, emotional stress is going to be derived from how we interact or with an experience, whether it's psychological, whether it's uh, mental, or whether it's spiritual, and how that interacts with our unconscious or subconscious selves. And again, that goes into our mindsets and our belief systems. So Dr. Craig, I'll let you uh, take over and how we develop those. Thanks, Dr. Caleb. I will tell you, I think this is actually the most important part of the whole series. I'm going to talk about our thoughts, our habits, and our mindset. It's interesting as we were talking there about is stress good, is stress bad? I think the difficulty, the deeper we get, the more words start to fail us. Because what does stress actually mean? Is it just the pressure or is it the good and the bad? Mm. It depends on what we think about the word. So let me start with this. What is a thought? Wait a minute, is that a question? We have to think about it? Yeah, I want you to think about that. What is a thought? 
when we're thinking, what is occurring? Life experiences. We're basing. We're making some conclusion on our experiences of some sort. I think that depends on the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to tie back into the previous episode. It was obvious I was experiencing mental stress. Here's one of the things that I find very interesting about thinking. You can have multiple thoughts going at a time. I'm sitting there reading, trying to express what I had studied, and it wasn't coming out. And my mind's going, oh, no. Did I not do enough? Did I not study enough? Am I not as good as these other guys? What What are people going to think of me? What, what, this is my opportunity. This is my best thing. What, 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 Mm -hmm. I'm going to do. It's amazing to me what the brain can do. It is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. How somebody thinks this could just develop evolutionary by itself, that doesn't make any sense at all. We are so complex. It's just amazing. So let me go to this next. There are two basic theories about thought. There's what's called the reductionist theory, which basically says, all thoughts are is just electrical chemical changes in the brain. Or there's a dualist theory, which means which says that the mind is separate from the body and our thoughts are not physical parts of the brain. What do you guys think? We jokingly have talked about, you know, the head's disconnected from the body. And sometimes the brain either doesn't pay attention to the body because the body's been screaming to it, so it disassociates with it. And then we have other issues where the brain's trying to get the body to do something, the body resists or doesn't want to do it or reacts against it. So in that concept, I think from my experience, you know, been in this healthcare world over 40 plus years, the dualist theory is probably true. Is there an option C? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, Both. I really think that yeah. the, the mind itself is the interaction between the physical body and our spiritual self. It's the, mm -hmm. as we say, it's, it's a battle for the minds, you know, people, well, that's, that's a spiritual aspect of it too. I mean, mm -hmm. your your soul or your spirit there and is part of the mind there, and that's how it interplays and it has an effect on the on the body right. physically. So right. th there is a dualist or triplist, if you want to. It depends on how you look at how many part types we are. Right, <laughs> and we talk about four brains, that. right? I mean, and the, the spiritual brain is the fourth brain. We only got three. Oh, well, right, <laughs> but, that's, but I mean, that's the whole issue. We talk about the three types of brains that are within us. And then the fourth one is a spiritual one, which we don't know where it is, but yet we know somewhere, you know, Scripture says it's in the heart of man. That's the soul of man. Well, where's that at? You know, soul, will, you know, those kind of things. But okay. Well, let me go this way with it. So I'm going to throw out one other question. If it is electrical chemical changes, does that mean you can have unconscious thoughts, subconscious thoughts? What I'm going to talk about, yeah, you did most definitely can. Right. Mm -hmm. But what do we tend to think of when we think of thoughts, though? It's what we think with our conscious yeah, mind. Conscious cortex, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it goes way beyond that. So I'm going to talk about six basic components or things that are involved with thinking. First is the neuron, which is the basic cell of the brain. The synapse, which is where each nerve cell connects. The action potential, which is the electrical aspect of the neuron neurotransmitters, which is the chemical aspect of the neurocommunication, and then two areas, the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus. Prefrontal cortex is our executive uh, portion of the brain where we do most of our conscious thinking, and the hippocampus is where most of the memory is stored. Because when you have a thought, to me, the brain does this. What have I experienced in the past, and what do I need to project into the future to protect myself? 
because the brain basically has three functions from my perspective. And, uh, and I'll boil that down to three basic questions. Number one, at the core of your brain is, am I safe? Because if you're not safe, nothing else matters. And this is where fight or flight gets initiated. Mm. If I'm safe, then we move into the second question. Is it good? Is it pleasurable? Or is it painful? If it's painful, then we tend to go back to the first, which puts me back into fight or flight. We tend to resist that. And then the third is in the prefrontal cortex, which is it right? Is it moral? So these are all occurring mm -hmm. as we're having thought processes. So here's another question. Is a thought spontaneous or a reaction to something around you? It's a reaction. Okay. I mean, a, a reaction can be spontaneous, right? Right, But it's based on some other preset concept that's in there and how you react against it. So there's nothing new under the sun. Correct. Does that mean that a thought has to be triggered? <laughs> Are we reverting back? <laughs> trigger warning, trigger warning. So one of the things that really bothered me, as I said, is this is where I spend most of my time in, in my room. This is my wheelhouse. And yet I got stuck. I got, I struggled. I got stuck in this mental stress and I was having very difficulty breaking out of it which is very frustrating because then it just starts to compound. That's the thing with stress mm -hmm. too, is stress just starts to compound upon itself. One other thing I mentioned last time was the association. I think this is one of the biggest things. When we are having competing thoughts, they're competing for each other. And until a decision is made, they're both being, they're in this almost sub-threshold activity. And until a decision is made, different neural networks are competing. That You have different nerve pathways that are arguing for control of the brain, for lack of a better term. Eventually, one network becomes activated and it produces a behavior. Here's what I tell people. We think, which makes us feel, which makes us do. Now, what we're going to get to when you talk is what actually created the thought process to begin with. Because I believe our thoughts come from our beliefs. Interestingly, how I said that too, mm -hmm. because belief. as you're going to talk about is we are, by the time we become consciously aware, we're actually aware that we're thinking we're already preloaded. Mm -hmm. So here's one of the biggest things I believe and why I think this is so important. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts are the biggest thing that we can change because if I change what I think, I change what I feel. I change what I do. I change who I am. Mm -hmm. That's why I think our thoughts are so important. It's interesting the way you said that too, because as you said, you know, you believe that belief comes before thoughts, mm -hmm. but where does a belief come from? It comes from thinking a thought enough that it becomes a part of you. Well, here's so what kind I of a cycle well, here's what I believe is what Dr. Ben's going to talk about is before you're even consciously aware, you're preloaded with a belief system. Right. Just what you experience tells you this is what to expect. Mm -hmm. Because what is our brain really doing? It's receiving information and it's processing information. Mm -hmm. Based on what? Why does my brain process information differently than yours? Why in the last episode was I processing this situation differently than the rest? What was I perceiving? What was already preloaded? What was programmed into my thinking that created the reaction? Yeah, what Dr. Luke talked about, where you are in your environment. Right. I was a 10th child. 
out right. of 13. I right. I saw so many things right. that the others never got an opportunity to see. Right. Right. And so by the time I got to their ages, I had already experienced it inadvertently through them. Right. And I had different reactions, different things. You figured out how to get away with it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Here's the other Don't thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Here's the other thing that I think applies to this as well is I think we have three states of consciousness. You have conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. Mm-hmm. I think conscious is what we think. Subconscious is what we feel. Unconscious is what we believe. And react on that belief. Exactly. Right. I think the difficulty is the, the only place you can really change it is in your conscious. It's difficult once you're feeling a feeling to change the feeling because mm-hmm. it's nebulous. It's it's hard to get hold of. Mm-hmm. If you can bring it up to conscious awareness, you can start to do something to change it. Right. And I think this is where it's, I keep going back to this. I, I really help to drive people to be aware of what they're thinking. That's why I, I mentioned words. Pay attention to your words. Your words will tell you what you think, feel, and believe. Right. So, next let's talk about habit. What is a habit? Well, to me, basically, a habit is just repeating the process of what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. What is it, 21 days to develop a habit and how long to get it set? Well, it takes 21 days to initiate, takes 60 days to set it, and two years to change it. There we go. The Encyclopedia Bowers. I knew I could count <laughs> on it. Bowerspedia. Right. So, it's basically just a repeated thought pattern. We keep thinking the same thing and doing the same action until it becomes a belief. But take that back one, one step, Dr. Craig. Mm-hmm. If you think about a habitual pattern, mm-hmm. right? It's what you said. You kept doing it over so you no longer have to constantly worry about it. It autonomically or automatically then right. happens. Which that's the point I was going to drive to is what does the brain want to do the most? It wants to drive things to its subconscious because it's way more efficient from an energy perspective. Right. So the more patterns it can make subconscious, the better, which is right. great if it's a pattern you want. Not so great if it's a pattern you don't want. And that's physical, emotional, all of those, they all show up there, right? I, the more I have dug into this, the more it has surprised me. Our emotions are our habits. We react emotionally based on habit mm-hmm. because you've done it in the past. Well, that's, brain goes, well, that's what we want to do in the future. And, and it amazed me too that this actually occurs at a cellular level as well. I don't know that we've talked about it before, but the cell danger response, I think, is a very fascinating yes. concept. And and what I really find fascinating, I think you and I were having this conversation, is the mitochondria, yes, is the energy production, but it's also the sensor for changes in voltage drop. And what drops voltage? Resistance. And what mm-hmm. we're talking about, gratitude is basically acceptance. Mm-hmm. When I accept, I'm not resisting. When I resist, voltage drops. Mitochondria senses that. It changes ATP production and usage and floods it into the uh, interstitial space. And now all of a sudden that cell shuts down and goes into stress mode. The or cell flight, itself. Fight, flight, or freeze. Exactly. Right. At a cellular level, this is occurring. Right. I'm right. like, that is amazing. It's that whole fractal micro macrocosm concept. It just, you can see. Can you say that again? That was, yeah. <laughs> you can see why I'm fascinated by this and why this right. is my passion. So. So habits are important because if you can realize you're doing something out of habit, then you can have the opportunity to change it. If you don't realize that you're doing it out of habit, you can't change it. You're going to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again until you bring it up to your conscious awareness. (laughs) 
you mentioned me getting nervous at the very first time we did a recording. And you remember what the, well, this, you actually referenced something else. I actually thought back to our episode on neuroplasticity. When we first started doing videos, I struggled to just get those concepts out. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Yeah. How many takes? Kaisen goes, I'm coming back when you're done. Take 59. Take. I went and did something else. Exactly. I'm going to get out of here, take the stress off you. You you figure it out. You figure out you. Well, one of the things I remember from that is nerves that fire together, wire together. And I, this is the other concept I've mentioned is association is also vitally important because what we do by habit means we will also associate by habit. And this is where a lot of times triggers really come into play is because we associate a trigger with something else. Because once the brain goes into fight or flight and says, this is dangerous, it says, well, anything similar to it, we got to be protective against. Right. So now this looks like it, and this looks like it, and this looks like it, and this looks like it, which is why when by the time people get into my office, when we start digging in, I'm going, you have this massive element you're trying to eat, and we can't eat it all at once. Right. We got to start unpacking this and peeling off the layers and getting at this piece by piece and start to actually disassociate things to actually get changed. So we actually get control of our thought processes again. So... My question is, if we do things habitually, why do we keep repeating it? What is it that drives it, which this is what I want to drive to at the last, which is our mindset, which is what's going to lead into what you're going to talk about is, what is our mindset? I believe we manifest a mindset. That's my own personal philosophy is I believe our health is a a physical manifestation of what our mindset is, of what we believe. So what is it and where does it come from? To me, our mindset is it's the accumulation of all the thought patterns. It's what we think, feel, and believe. It's the networks that we have created. It's the learned patterns of response. It's the repetitive way we process and respond to information. All of that together is our mindset. It's really our worldview. It's our belief system. It's how we choose to see the world and how we choose to perceive things. In fact, I think our biggest issue when it really comes to thought processes comes down into that lowest part of our brain where we have what's called the reticular activating system, which is our filter for information. And we've talked about this before. You can have two people experience an accident and they do not see the same information. We see this in the Bible as well. One person mentions two people, one person mentions one. It isn't that they were wrong. It's just they just perceive the situation differently. So it's great if you're filtering out this information that isn't beneficial to you and allowing in what's good, what if that gets flipped? What if now we're filtering out all the good and only keeping the bad? That's part of our process, and this is programmed by our thoughts. So as we go back to our thoughts, to me, the only way you change your mindset and your belief system is you have to learn to think differently. Because as I said, I believe our belief system is what taught us to think in the way we think. We have to bring that to the surface and go, do I still think that? Do I still believe that? Do I still agree with that? That's where we can actually make change. So why do we choose our mindset and does it really matter? I believe so. And I'm going to let you talk about where it starts. First of all, I'm going to give us doctors a trigger warning because I'm just thinking about something we need to do here. We need to take all this habit and thought processes I know each of us has written different papers on this, but we need to combine them all together and say, what is habit? What is thought? And actually give the listeners, you know, a PDF or something for that way they can sit down and read that and go, hmm, how do I process that for me? So anyway. Right. I'm triggered. 
Yep. Hey, yeah, we're all triggered. So hang on. We don't know when that'll be available. Hopefully, by the time this whole series is done, we'll get that put out to you. Thanks, Dr. Craig. That was really in- insightful. I'm telling you, all of this has been insightful. And I'm sure for those of you who are listening uh, to this episode, I think you probably think we're talking about you or at least somebody you know. <laughs> so as we're discussing all the emotions, the thoughts, the habits, the triggers, I want to take us all the way back to our childhood. And the reason I'm going to discuss our childhoods is because of the way it affects our day-to-day reactions to our world. And in essence, I believe, see, there's that word, I believe, it is the major reason why we are who we are today. I'll address the significance about those of us who have experienced what we in healthcare refer to as ACEs or ACE, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. I also want to give you parents of younger age children and grandparents something to think about as those children grow up. I really do believe that our childhood experiences is a foundation of what we believe and why we believe it, and that it has the most lasting effect on everything that we deal with in life. Think about this. For the first 18 years of our lives, the basics of all of our life is generally experienced and therefore expressed in our lives by the way we think, the way we act or react, our beliefs about good and bad, our thoughts about life and the afterlife, politics, money, jobs, careers, education, relationships, pleasures, sports, disciplines, commitments. Almost every aspect of our lives will be learned, developed, and or formed during this stage of our life. It will set the baseline of how children will pursue, the, pursue life for the rest of their life, just like each one of us adults have done unless there is some major intervention that occurs. If you really stop and think about it, you could trace back your own beliefs to some specific point in your life where you formed your opinion and established a truth that you believe to be true, good or bad. Think about what bothers you, what irritates you, what it is that motivates you, what angers you, what drives you, what really flips your switch. (laughs) When you become more aggressive, when you become more angry, or more joyful, or more happy, or more considerate. When we think of all the different types of stress that we've identified in the previous episode and in this one, and then you look at what causes anxiety, anxiousness, frustrations, irritations, agitation, anger, and even emotional outbreaks in our life, there has to be a reason. Why is it that some people deal with with issues in relationships? How about trust, love, forgiveness, understanding, hopes, desires, needs, and aspirations in the many different types of relationships that we experience. And then what would you describe as a normal relationship? How would you describe a dysfunctional relationship? What about the relationships with our parents? How about our siblings if we have them? How about the relationships of our extended family with grandparents, aunts and uncles or cousins? How about the relationships with our neighborhood friends, our school friends, or our buddies? Are there any negative aspects of these relationships in your past? Does any of us have some sort of a type of people-pleasing personality? Do we need affirmations to feel good about who we are and what we do or what we just did? All these issues can produce a negative cycle that we often don't even realize that we are actually in. And we don't even know why we're in it. 
and therefore do not know how to get out of it. As Dr. Craig talked about, we've got to find a way to deal with this consciously to be able to handle it. We see that parents and grandparents, as well as other family members who have not dealt with their own family drama or trauma, often intentionally or unintentionally inflict trauma on their own children. This tends to perpetuate generational issues, and sometimes trauma will manifest itself and we don't even know how to break it. This type of pattern causes toxic stress on what we refer to as epigenetics. Our genes, or our genomes, are the blueprint provide instructions for making proteins in our body. All processes that make us human require these proteins, and they help define who we are. So epigenetics refers to our specific environment, as Dr. Luke was talking about, which is our upbringing and denotes the way that our genes are either turned on or turned off, and even if a specific gene is used or expressed or not. We now know that what we experience in life has the potential to change our epigenetic profile, meaning that our real life experiences change our genes and therefore the way we react to our, our world. Kind of brings a new concept of something really getting under our skin, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and once again, not only does this affect us individually, what's even more important is the way that our bodies respond to these stressors and that can be passed from one generation to the next through our genes. We've all heard of different stories of, you know, well, nobody in my family has ever had heart attacks or, or cancer or whatever, and yet some person shows up with it. Now, before some of us think that we had a great childhood, which some of us did, and we really don't have any of these issues, let's address the elephant in the room or on the airway, so to speak, or in the video. <laughs> Research has revealed that in the 1990s, over 61% of all adults have experienced at least one issue of at least 10 different ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. That is, and that has been projected to be over 85% now since the pandemic of COVID. Wow. And you're going, well, wait a minute. Does that really apply to me? Well, you're potentially more greatly affected than you realize. In fact, those who are experiencing ACE effects are more susceptible to having difficulty coping with the inevitable ups and downs of life. Therefore, they tend to use some specific type of coping behavior to help self-meditate themselves, as Dr. Frank and Dr. Caleb mentioned and Dr. Luke. They refer to something like smoking, alcohol abuse, which is drinking way too much, substance abuse, some form of either prescribed illicit drugs, physical abuse, cutting or injuring themselves or having aggressive physical activity, even having lack of physical activity, getting into pornography and or promiscu promiscuity, overeating, or even with having withdrawal or self-isolation issues. All these coping behaviors then lead to physical and mental health issues like, as we've mentioned, increased cortisol levels that cause increased anxiety, anxiousness and depression, high blood pressure, increased heart rate, which revolves to over 50% of people more likely to develop cardiovascular diseases later in life, blood sugar regulation leading to diabetes, chronic lung disease, increased inflammation, which slows the ability to heal, increased anxiety, cognition, impaired learning and memory issues, as well as mental processing issues, difficulty regulating anger or emotions, reduced attention control, hyper-awareness of one's surrounding, difficulty experiencing joy, 
difficulty understanding how to respond to situations, obesity, strokes, and cancer. In fact, the CDC estimates that at least five of the top 10 leading causes in death in North America are associated with adverse childhood experiences. Wow. You think about the number one killer in America, which is heart disease, cardiovascular, cardiopulmonary disease, and this is where all this is beginning. If that was not enough, researchers have also found that ACEs can negatively impact education and the educational achievements, job opportunities, or the inability to maintain employment, their earning potential, more likely to engage in risky behaviors, as well as having a greater likelihood of becoming a victim or perpetrator of violent crime in their adult life. Wow. So then what are these childhood experiences with the potential to change the course of your life and impact you far into adulthood? Here they are. Number one, physical abuse. This is causing physical harm to a child by hitting, kicking, punching, scratching, beating, burning, throwing, or stabbing. And some of us have never experienced that go, well, that can't happen. But to those who have experienced it, understand that. It can result in injuries like bruises, cuts, and fractured or broken bones. Then there's sexual abuse. Engaging in sexual behavior of the child, sexual exploitation of a child, or exposing oneself indecently to a child. This includes using a child in prostitution or pornography. Verbal abuse, using the voice and words to scream, yell, curse at, assault, or manipulate a child. Number four, physical neglect. Failing to provide a child's basic needs such as food, water, and shelter. This also includes failing to give a child proper medical care, providing clean clothes, or giving proper supervision. How about emotional neglect, number five? Behaving in a way that causes a child emotional harm and interferes with their mental health. This neglect can include ridiculing, blaming, threatening, isolating, or even rejecting a child. Number six is mental illness. A household member with a mental illness that impacts their ability to provide proper care for the child or has a profound impact on the child. This experience could be depression, a household member attempting suicide, or a and or finishing or completing suicide and or other mental issues. Number seven, substance abuse. A household member who's addicted to alcohol or some other a substance, this addiction can cause a caregiver to prioritize substance use over caring for the child. Just think about some of the movies we've seen and all these things show up. I mean, these are real life things that have happened to people. How about imprisonment? A household member who is incarcerated, it can cause a child to feel abandoned when the person leaves him, the person may also have a modeled inappropriate behaviors before being in prison. And that's not just listed to household members. That's also aunts and uncles and cousins. And number nine, witnessing abuse, seeking or seeing violence specifically against their mother is particularly traumatized because children tend to form a stronger attachment to a mother figure. It's difficult to watch a loved one's abuse and they may feel helpless because they cannot intervene. And then number 10, Losing a parent to separation, divorce, or death. When important figures removed from a child's life, it can cause significant distress and feelings of abandonment. Researchers have also included a few other types of experiences that create the same biological changes as the original uh, ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. They are bullying. Anybody experience bullying? How about racism? Especially against women. Remember the Me Too issue? I mean, that's real stuff. Community violence. I grew up in 
the 50s and 60s, and I saw all kind of community violence. Natural disasters, refugee wartime experiences, witnessing experiences or acts of terrorism, feeling homeless or having to deal with homelessness, and food insecurity. Now, most of us can identify with something in these lists. The real issue is when we begin to count how many of these 18 different ACEs we have been exposed to. Then, identifying the significance of those that were ongoing versus those that made a lasting imprint on us. Now, take a moment and also think about people you know who have some of these issues, their passions, their actions, and even their reactions. Maybe it's even you. Just maybe there is a deeper reason or cause as why people are the way they are. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, here's a couple of very good books to read. The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris. I've spoken with her quite a few times. Drama Free and Setting Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Glover Tawab. Or just Google Adverse Childhood Experiences. You'll find a lot of information there. There's also a simple ACE test that you can take free online that will help you identify your scores. Me, myself, when I've taken it, I scored a 6 out of 10. And then I scored a 10 out of 18. What in the world did that mean to me? Well, for some of you listening, you've not heard part of my story. But I was sexually abused by a male friend of the family between 9 and 11 years of age. And that changed my life dramatically. Hard. And for those of you that went and watched The Sound of Freedom, you can understand some of the problems these people go through. Just got to realize this affects your life. I'm almost 67 years of age. And look, I'm emotional. Now, this dynamic effect changes your life. There is one other thing I'd like to just point out or bring into all this is when we talk about the ACEs, where does this all really begin? And Dr. Craig brought up a lot of different things in our thought processes. And and though I'm not female and though I've never been pregnant, as I jokingly tell people, I was pregnant twice with my wife. And when you think about all of the things that we put into that mindset and that thought process during pregnancy and all those things that go down inside that body, and I talk about the epigenetic side of that, how it's having an effect on it. We got to realize that a lot of stuff is being seeded, maybe is the right term, uh, inside these embryos. And the way we react to things, they're filling that neural network. They're filling all those different hormonal reactions, those chemistry reactions. All those things also have a dynamic effect on that. And we all know the, you know, what is referred to as drug babies or, you know, babies are born through drug addicts and the effects it has on that. So all that's important to understand and uh, is a piece of this as well. So now I want to speak to us parents and grandparents, and I want to talk about some may, maybe some ways to prevent all this in our children. First, let's understand that children, our children are very malleable in their brains and their minds. And with a caring and nurturing environment, we can help our children develop the resilience to protect them from these ACEs or adverse childhood effects. Resiliency really is the ability to thrive, adapt, and uh, the, be able to cope despite the tough and stressful times. 
It's the ideal counterbalance to ACEs. So here are seven core ideas to help develop and foster resilience in children. Number one, competence. We need to build their understanding of their unique God-given skills. Number two is confidence. Helping children to grow and understand a true belief in their own either abilities or capabilities. Number three is connection. Connecting our children with other people, schools, communities, um, religious uh, church activities to further build the support system that we are trying to instill. Number four is their character. Help them comprehend a clear sense of what is right and wrong and teaching them what I would refer to as godly moral values. And then contribution. Offering children a chance to contribute to the well-being of others. They learn that giving service feels good and then feel more confident to ask others for help as well. Number six is coping. Discovering a variety of health coping strategies to prevent children from dangerous quick fixes to stress or to abuse of smoking, alcohol, drugs, sex, etc. And then number seven, control. Teach our children to make decisions on their own so they can experience a sense of control of their being, their thoughts, and their actions and reactions. And here's a few other additional ways to help promote resilience. Acknowledge the child's experience of ACEs and how it may be influencing their behavior. Instead of asking, what's wrong with you? Ask, what happened to you? This was my experience with my parents after the molestation. My parents didn't know what to ask what happened to me. They just kept asking, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be like so-and-so or be like other people? Ask that question. Hey, what happened to you? What's going on? Why are you acting the way you're acting? Now, what's wrong with you? That just tells them to bury that deeper because that's something wrong or bad. Then help children identify their emotions. Talk about these emotions. Express them appropriately. Give them something to understand what is right or wrong about your beliefs of emotions. Next, empower children to problem solve and work through their issue, their problem, preferably with other people so they can learn the right ways to do that. And then last, promote healthy coping habits of meditation, if you're into that, and mindfulness, if you're into that. For me, it's spirituality, spending time with my God, spending time praying, worshiping, and singing. And then don't forget exercise, breathing and uh, exercises, and good sleep patterns, sleep routines. The doctors, any other comments? Anything you want to add? Yeah, I do. Um, you were talking about in womb, what we experience, that if you think about it, if we go back to our energy podcast, what is that embryo receiving? Energy. Energy waves, energy frequencies. And all the stuff you mentioned works very well. The thing that I think I have found in my own parenting that works the best is it has to exist within me. It isn't what I say. It's who I am that's the biggest issue. I think our biggest stress in life is what we think and feel about ourselves. Yeah. And if I don't think healthy about myself, no matter what words I use with my kids, I'm teaching it with my energy. And I think that's really what I've worked at with my kids is before I say anything, I want to figure out, I want to evaluate myself. What energy am I putting out there? Because I'll give you an example. I can't tell you how many times I told my kids, don't go into debt. But guess what? I was in debt. So there was contradiction. 
And what have they done? They've done the same thing because they saw what I did. They saw who I was, not what I said. Do as I do, not as I say. Right. right. It doesn't work. It's yeah. the energy we emanate that makes the biggest difference on people. I, the thing I want more than anything else for my kids is I want them to feel loved. Yeah. I, I think it's funny. Think about all the work you do with our patient that we do with our patients, any doctor. What's the most what's the thing that we ask the most? How do you feel? Right. What mm -hmm. do we want more than anything else is to feel a certain feeling. Loved, happiness, joy. That's right. I remember years ago you had me work up this deal about describing love. And I went home and wrote eight pages of mm -hmm. what I thought love was. And then I tried in within that I wrote out, Well, how does God love me? And my conclusion was God was standing behind the door with a bat. And if I did the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, walked through the door with the wrong thing, I got hit with that bat. And that's not the the God that I loved or believed that I, that I believed in. And I asked some of my siblings, where did we get this? And some of them didn't have that. And I had to sit down and realize that due to my aces, this was my description of love. Love is abusive. Love is wrong. Love, love takes advantage of you. Love strips you down. And that didn't love at all. Well, and go back to what you just said. You thought, right. which then created a feeling. Right. And that's affected me. Well, it at least affected me, what, 62, three, four years of my life. Mm -hmm. You know? So, cool. Anybody else? Anything you want to add to? Yeah. Um, so, this has been a... Uh a rough episode, I think, on a lot of us here. I mean, brought up a lot of things. I think we've all been triggered by some of the things and things have been brought up. So those of you who are listening to this, you understand that we're being as authentic as we can here. This, this is who we are. This is part of our reason, our passion for what we do in our clinic is to help people <coughs> and to work through it. And, and I'm so grateful to work in a clinic where we got to help each other and work through some of these mm -hmm. things. And there's some things that I think we thought we had worked through pretty good and putting this episode together, there's some other avenues and different things that are coming up here. The biggest thing that I want you to take away from this, if you are triggered, if you are having some issues with some of the things we talked about, um, realize this, that you have value. You are not worthless. You are extremely important and you are valuable and you are loved. And if this is something you need more help in, like we said before, go find somebody to help you out with. If we can help, we'd love to. If there's something you want to talk about, understand that most of us have been through a lot of these situations that we can help you guys with and, and work through and talk through. At least try to, if we can't help you, we're going to at least try to find somebody that can help you with that. It's, it's important that you understand that you are loved and you are valuable and you have a purpose. Yeah. One other thought I would like to add, you know, you went through those aces and most of those are pretty complex and pretty intense. The thing that I find interesting is they don't always have to be big. Mm -hmm. uh, One. Dr. Luke and I, kinda, you remember the uh, B team thing that we talked about is it just, it's interesting. Kind of think of a ship, one comet that gets you one degree off course 15 years later, how far off course are right, you? Right, right. It, it's a an innocent little statement that changes the way you think, that then changes the way you feel that starts to become a habit, that then becomes a mindset. And that's yeah. what I have found interesting with a lot of people I work with is, you know, you go in expecting this deep, 
childhood trauma. It's not there. Because it's just one little statement was made in just the right time that threw you off course. Yeah, that's why I said that it just only takes one. Right. One exactly that you formed some life-altering thought, decision, process. Well, and, and, and again, I go back to this concept. It's how we perceive the information. I was watching something interesting. Fight or flight. What do we use as the the uh, trigger or you know the the example? The bear or right. lion or tiger. Or what would be another one that's in the water? A shark. Sure, right. I saw people that work with sharks that they just took them by the nose, just moved them out of the way. They weren't afraid. Right. They weren't worried. It's interesting how when we talk about that's stresses, weird. there may be situations we think that that's just normal, that it isn't necessarily normal. It's how we perceive, how we've habitually thought about the situation that's really the issue. Point. Well, concluding, I want to end up with one part of that story that's left. 25 years ago, I had the opportunity to become paralyzed. And what was interesting is since that event happened from my nine years to 11 years of age, and then I actually had to go to court and testify against this man at around 13 years of age, I buried it. I did not talk to anybody about it. My wife, who was my high school sweetheart, she knew nothing about it. And even though it was affecting every aspect of my life, I just kept pushing it down. Like Dr. Mm -hmm. Kate was talking about, I buried it and buried it. And then there was an incident, a major trauma, if you will, that allowed me to get paralyzed. And for five years, I was unable to move some of my arms and do some things I was able to do. And I went to a doctor in Phoenix, Arizona. And he did, like Dr. Craig said, he pulled back the layers. And after five years of being paralyzed, in four days, I was able to move my arms. And here's the funny part about that story. What he did had nothing to do with how I got paralyzed. But he unwrapped all that trauma that was stopping me from getting well. So we've talked about the chemical side, the emotional side, the thought side. We've talked about all these things, how they affect your life and your body, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And within four days, he unraveled 40 years, at least 35 years, 37 years of stuffed down trauma. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. It took me years after that to talk to people about it. And I finally realized, and maybe for those of you who are listening, whatever experiences you've had, whether it was a one-time experience or ongoing trauma or many of those things that we talked about that you witnessed, please talk to somebody. Reach out. You don't have to live with this trauma. You don't have to live with all these things, did you? And with that, in our next episode, we're going to be going over some of the issues of what we've talked about previously, the lion mold and parasites, toxicities, and how their whole vicious cycle can reduce our ability or inability to handle stress. So God's blessing on all of you. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.